The word of God from John. On the evening of that day, the first, of the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. When the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have the life in his name. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you please remain standing as we um, pray together? Heavenly Father, our Lord and our God, what joy that you would have us in your house with our brothers and sisters. It is a sweet thing to worship you together as family. Lord, I think about how this joy is spread across the whole planet, that there are house churches in the Ukraine, there are believers in the bush of the Amazons, there are strip mall churches, there are mega churches, there are ordinary people just trying to make their way through this world, but today we stop. And we remember that you did not stay dead. You, you rose. And then that means everything. Lord, as we just pray about the implications and study the implications of the resurrection, we pray that your spirit would be with us. Open the eyes of our heart. Make us fertile. Make us soft so that we would learn from you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Ronnie. Welcome. It's a real pleasure to be with you if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you. You know, when Jesus died on a Friday, he was buried where he remained in the tomb until Sunday. And on that Sunday, 
2,000 years ago, he rose from the dead. And after he was resurrected, he actually stayed with his disciples for about 50 days before, of course, he ascended. And during those 50 days, uh, he did a lot of things. And when you study those things, you realize they are to help the church to understand the implications of this resurrection. Now, listen, most Christians understand that Jesus rose, that there was this resurrection 2,000 years ago. And most people get that when we die, there's going to be another general resurrection, right? I was taught by the, people, the Hebrew, the people of Israel, and then also the church believe that there's this general resurrection at the end of time. We get that. But I wonder if that's all we understand, if maybe we're missing something really big. See, the resurrection of Jesus, the reason why we celebrate Easter is because the resurrection has everything to do with how we think about this present moment right now. And so it actually is going to shape how we think about like our minds and our jobs and the food that we eat and our bodies. It's even going to shape how we understand our very purpose. See, the Bible teaches that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, that the old is gone, and that the new has come. That means that the resurrection is already breaking in right now. It has come. It is breaking in in this present moment. So the resurrection, it's not just something that happened in the past, although it did. And it's also not just something that will happen in the future, though it will but it is a present reality that I want to think about with you today. So we're going to evaluate, we're going to take a break from our sermon series in Mark and look and evaluate this passage in John that we just heard. It takes place just the day after the resurrection, and we're going to see what it means for us as modern people today. So if you are a note taker, there are a few of you, uh, my sermon just has two points this morning. First, we're going to understand how the resurrection relativizes this world. And then we're going to think about how the resurrection dignifies this world. So relativize and dignify. So let's begin with how the resurrection relativizes this world. Have you ever heard the, the term FOMO, F-O-M-O, -O, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, it was actually added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2013. So FOMO is a word, right? So this fear of missing out is actually growing incredibly acute in this generation. Uh, for instance, we might be completely stuffed due to eating way too much food, but we'll still eat a little dessert because we don't want to miss out. We want to taste it, right? We might be completely exhausted from a tough work week, but we will take that invitation to stay out way too late. Why? Because we don't want to miss out on the action. We might spend money that we don't have to go on an exotic vacation because when else are we going to experience just the pleasures and the beauties of this world our kids might be absolutely packed with activities, but we will still put them in one more sport. Why? Because we think that's what's best for them because we want them to have more experiences. 
We even have this thing called bucket lists. You know what a bucket list is? Of course you do. It's a list of things that people want to do before they die. Did you all know that bucket lists are kind of a new historic phenomena? In fact, most cultures don't have bucket lists. So a bucket list is a cultural category for wealthy people who have been convinced by this idea that this life is all that there is. And so it introduces us to another acronym, YOLO. Y'all know what that one is, right? You only live once. So these kinds of slogans are extremely popular because most people aren't just thinking hard about the resurrection, right? If there is no resurrection, if there's no resurrection, then by default, you have to make this life your functional heaven. If this life is all that you have, you have to make sure that you get every single experience possible. You have to make this your personal heaven. You do everything to make yourself happy. You can't miss out. You can't sacrifice your money, your time. Why? Because those are your two primary instruments and resources that will help you make this life your personal heaven. Listen, if you truly believe that this life is your primary opportunity to experience the best things, if that's what you believe, you're going to start organizing your life around yourself. Everything in your life is going to turn into an instrument or, in some cases, an obstacle for your personal happiness, right? Your job, your children, your sex, your money, your time, all of that is about you. But here's the catch. If you do that, then you can't truly love those things right? Those things are stripped of intrinsic value, uh, good unto themselves. They're stripped of it and they're reduced to tools that are there to help you to have your personal heaven on this side of life. And if that's true, you just, you won't ever make sacrifices. I mean, why would you, right? It's an obstacle. So this is relevant for our text this morning as we understand it. See, this text in John picks up right after the resurrection of Jesus. So all the disciples, they're gathered together. They're in hiding. They were sad. They were afraid. They were depressed. And so the text tells us they locked themselves up in a building, in a house. Now, why did they do that? It's because they lived in a culture that was absolutely hostile to their beliefs. They were afraid for their lives, y'all. So remember, it's the people in Jerusalem, those are their neighbors, who were out there screaming, crucify him, crucify him, and they got their way, right? So this group, this population in Jerusalem was angry at Jesus. They're angry at his followers, and the disciples are afraid. But somehow, with the doors locked, the resurrected Jesus appears. And so Jesus like comes in, shows him his hand, says, peace be with you. He had to say peace because they're freaking out. Like, how do you do that? The door was locked. So peace, chill out, peace be with you. And then he says, verse 21, 
He says, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. So Jesus says, I'm sending you like ambassadors. Now, why is that line in verse 21 so significant? Jesus is essentially saying, in light of the resurrection, look, it's happening. They must go to the people who crucified Jesus, the ones who don't like them, the ones who are likely going to oppress them, and they have got to go tell them about the gospel, that the resurrection is true, like it really happened. So they now, Jesus is calling them to live their lives for those people instead of for themselves. Jesus is sending them on a mission that could cost them their life. At a very minimum, it's going to cost them their calendars and their resources. And so why would they do it? Because they believed that Jesus' resurrection promised a real resurrection, a renewal, a restoration of all things. And that because of what happened to Jesus, they themselves, no matter what Jesus was calling them to, they would never miss out. And here's why this is so important. I mean, when the, Jesus, when, when the disciples laid eyes on Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, they knew his resurrection was a guarantee of the recreation, the renewal of all things, which means that they could sacrifice their time, their money, their dreams, even their own lives, because they knew even if they did those things, they would never miss out. They would get the best things that this world promises, but even better. You know, that's what heaven is, y'all. Heaven is not about turning into ghosts or angels or wearing a toga or playing a harp or floating on a cloud. Like, can we just have real talk? That sounds awful. (laughs) No, they understood. Like one day, they would get the best parts of this world without any of the bad parts, and they would get Jesus And because there was no risk of missing out, they could sacrifice their lives following Jesus. They knew that one day their lips would taste the best wine. Their ears would still hear the most beautiful music. Their arms would still hug their favorite people. Their eyes would fall upon the most beautiful parts of the creator's creation. The resurrection is a promise that they could still live sacrificially for Christ in that present moment because he was making all things new and that the creation would finally be redeemed and, and, and saved and that they would be there for it. They would be there for it. Listen, people who uh, suffer from FOMO, are people who have, maybe by de facto, they've decided that this life is their personal heaven. There's like a ghost. (laughs) All right. Uh, People who suffer from FOMO are people who have de facto decided that this life is their personal heaven, right? Y'all, that is a depressing thought. You know why? Because enough is never enough, right? Your experiences, vacations, sex, food, career, whatever, will never be enough 
to satisfy you the way that only heaven can satisfy. And so it's this desperate chase. It's like, to use the old saying, it's like polishing, right, silver on the Titanic. It's, it's pretty, but it won't satisfy. So I want to get real practical. Let's do a few diagnostic questions to kind of test your heart to see if maybe you have forgotten about what you believe about the resurrection. Here's a few questions for you. Do you incessantly check social media? Uh, just to see what everyone's doing or saying. What are, what are the influencers telling us we should like? You know? Do you um, chronically question your career choices? Do you feel tempted to be at every party? Right? If, or if there is a party that you weren't invited to, do, does that inordinately make, affect you? Does that really bum you out? Are you, um, are you afraid of giving away your time and money? Like, is that hard? Is it hard to give away your time and money? Did you ask yourself that? Would you be honest if it were hard? Are you involved in too many activities so much that there is no margin in your life for the spiritual things, right? Like spiritual things, you'll get to them when you get to them because you're just so busy. Listen, the resurrection relativizes our experiences of this life because there's a promise that you can give it up because you will never miss out if you are joined to Jesus in his resurrection, we are, we are going to get joy, intimacy, delight, fulfillment in ways that this world can only whisper at. And so those diagnostic questions are intended to help you interrogate your own heart to see how much you're trusting in the resurrection for your present life. All right, let's move to our second point. So we looked at how the resurrection kind of relativizes the world, but it also dignifies. It also dignifies this world. So um, for, the, for those of you who are new, I, uh, my family and I about a year ago moved from Puerto Rico where we lived for about 14 years. Um, each year from 2011 to 2017, uh, my family would go on a staycation because like when you live in the Caribbean, you just go like down the street. <laughs> so we would spend, uh, my aunt and uncle had this timeshare at this cool town, Dorado, in Puerto Rico. And it's right on the beach. I mean, it's incredible. We'd stay there. And guess what my, me and my kids would do every year? We would make sandcastles. And listen, I'm not talking about ordinary sandcastles. I'm talking about those massive ones with tunnels and outer walls and turrets, right? We'd spend hours making awesome sandcastles. And then, of course, the day would end. We'd go to sleep because we want to be rested for the next day of beach, right? Getting that vitamin D. Um, y'all all white here. Like, y'all, y'all, we need a little bit more of that. Um, so we, were, we used to be brown. Remember when we used to be brown? That was a thing. So we would go in and come out the next day, and... Uh, all of our work, hours of work, would be washed away by the tide. And after one year, with a little bit of disappointment in her voice, you know, one of my twins, Adeline, would say, Dad, what's the point, right? 
I mean, what's the point if what we make is always going to be washed away? Now, my girl is asking a question, y'all. Like, that, she's getting meta. That's a philosophical question. What's the point if it's all going to be washed away? See, that's the question you and I have got to ask about our lives, our work, and even our purpose. What's the point? So there's this beautiful image at the very end of the Bible that's in the book of Revelation. And and the end of time is illustrated like this. Let me read this to you because this is incredible. This is in the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. John says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. That bring glory and honor into the nations. That imagery, what it's describing are the magnificent creations of all cultures, whether it's art or education or architecture or commerce or banking or sports, whatever. That glory will be brought into the new heavens and the new earth. It'll remain forever. So remember, like heaven is not some place in outer space, right? Heaven is this place. It's God's creation, but perfectly renewed and restored, right? All the ancient creeds from the first five centuries, all of them worked really diligently to communicate the reality of the renewal and resurrection of heaven here, this place. All the church, every creed you read, God's plan is not to abandon this world. No, when God created the world, he looked at it and said, it is very good. Tells us how he feels about it. He intends to remake it. And when he does, he will raise all his people into new bodily life and live in it. And they will bring their glory into it. Therefore, what we do in this life matters, right? To kind of riff on Maximus Aurelius, right, from Gladiator. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. Our work matters. Our lives are not sandcastles on the beach. This is how come our Lord, right, he would teach us to say, he would say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just like it's done in heaven, right? Bring it in. The vi- this vision of eternality and resurrection, it's made strikingly evident when Jesus appears to Thomas, right? So remember, back to our text, the disciples, they're scared, they're disappointed. Jesus appears to them. It, it, it secures their hopes. Thomas was missing, though. He, did, he missed out on the first party. He had a little FOMO. So the disciples told him eight days later, and he says, hey, listen, Unless I see in his hands, verse 25, the mark of the nails, and and unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas thinks he's being reasonable. So eight days later, 
disciples, they're in together. Again, the door's locked. Again, Jesus shows up, apparently walking through walls, right? And he turns to Thomas and he says, verse 27, he says, Tom, come here, buddy. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Listen, put out your hand, place it in my side. Don't, don't disbelieve, but believe. Now, what's astounding about this is like the continuity and discontinuity. Like, so on one hand, Jesus has this mysterious newness to him. Like, clearly physical walls can't keep him out. So his body is imperishable. There's a different quality to it. But on the other hand, and this is extremely important to notice, Jesus insists that Thomas touch him. Jesus wants Thomas to feel his flesh, to touch his hands, the hands that have, still have scars on them. Jesus is still physical. In fact, in the very next chapter, we didn't get to it, but Jesus decides he wants breakfast, y'all, right? Like the resurrected Jesus eats, like he enjoys some salty fish cooked over a fire. So Jesus doesn't become inhuman. Rather, he becomes more human. Like his humanity is enhanced. So Jesus doesn't get rid of his flesh. He embraces it. So what does that mean for us? What does this mean for any project that we undertake? Will it all just burn and go away? No. You know, the uh, New Testament theologian N.T. Wright and he sums it up like this. Let me read a portion from his book. He says, The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. Rather, they are part of what we call building for God's kingdom. It's good, man. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to infuse earth with the life of heaven. You see? See, the Bible has a very high view of the physical world. God's not going to get rid of it. He's going to restore it. He's going to renew it. And you and I, through our mundane, ordinary, changing diaper kind of faithfulness, right? You and I are participating in that glory, in that redemption, even now. I mean, this is why Christians care about environmental issues. This is why Christians care about the poor. This is why Christians should care about fair business practices. This is why Christians should care about educational reform and systems. See, we have a really high view of this world, of human development, of culture. 
our efforts in their redemption will last into eternity. Our work matters. What we do matters. Our life, our decisions, our choices. Is that how you live? Like, is that how you live? I mean, do you live presently believing in resurrection? Do you believe that your vocation, your time, your efforts will echo into heaven? By God's sheer grace and mercy, he has invited us, so much average people, to cultivate the glory of God in its creation so that it flourishes, drawing out its glory. You know, if you could think about the whole story of the Bible, it begins in this perfect garden with a tree in the middle. But if you fast forward to the very end, it ends in a perfect city with a tree in the middle from garden to city. Through the story of the Bible, God's glory is cultivated and constructed and realized through you. (laughs) It's us just trying to make it in this world, cultivating glory. And we can know this with certainty. You can know this with certainty because Jesus himself was resurrected in physical form as he remains forever. Our Savior still has scars on his hands. So let me just quickly summarize. So this morning we looked at the story of Jesus Christ who after his resurrection appeared to the disciples, proved that the resurrection enhanced his humanity. It didn't turn him to a ghost. He remained fully God, but also fully human, a man who walks and talks and eats. As such, the resurrection of Jesus then both relativizes this life, right? You don't have to get it all in right now. You're not going to miss out. No FOMO for Christians. And it also dignifies this life. It does both at the same time. And because we are promised a life in the new creation where we will eat and taste and dance, then we should have no fear of missing out. And we, we, we can testify to the resurrection by actually sacrificing ourselves, sacrificing our resources for others in this life. Things are no longer obstacles to heaven. And we don't have to make this life or heaven Heaven is coming to earth one day. And on that day, we will begin eternal enjoyment. All the, all the wonderful things that this life offers, those things only whisper and hint at. Man, we're going to get them in their fullest expression. It's going to be a sweet day. And because the resurrection is true, this present life and all of its mundane and ordinariness matters. Our decisions and efforts are building into that future reality. They will last. This world's not going to be burned up. It will be purified and it will be perfected. That means what you do has purpose. It's not like the sandcastles on the beach. What we do matters. Denver Prez, your life, your ordinary, imperfect, sometimes stumbling life has eternal significance. And live into that. Believe in the resurrection, not just today, but every day. Amen? Amen.